Welcome to the Creators on Comics podcast. This podcast is a conversation between two creators, dissecting the craft and technique that goes into creating comics. This episode features two writers, Matt McGrath and Ian Mondrick. Both Matt and Ian write horror comics. Matt's comic ID10T Error is funding on Kickstarter now, and Ian has funded three issues of the Tomb series on Kickstarter. So I put them together to discuss horror and crowdfunding, and the horrors of crowdfunding. Here's their conversation. Hi there. Uh, my name is Matt McGrath, and I am a comic writer. And I've written a comic called ID10T Error, or Idiot Error, uh, that I co-created with uh, Otavio Colino. Colors by Kay Baird, letters by Frank Sekovic. Uh, so it's a sci-fi horror comedy and it's about a dude who spends years of his life in toiling in his basement trying to create this uh, sentient AI robot not because he wants to you know use it to make millions of dollars or better better mankind or what have you all he wants to do with it is create it so he can torture and kill it so of course when the AI gains sentience you know not into that idea so it, it spends the rest of the comic trying to escape for its life and it's kind of from there a cat and mouse game so right now we're funding issue two on kickstarter um so that's uh the continuing adventures of those two and yeah i won't go into it that much but we'll be talking about the first issue in this podcast we might be talking you. about the second issue too uh, too as well a little bit yeah We'll get in there. Um, I'm Ian Mondrick. Uh, I'm a comic and short fiction writer, uh, known most notably for the Tomb series I co-created with Benjamin A.E. Philby. Um, We just wrapped our third successful Kickstarter campaign for the uh, four-issue limited series that is uh, a horror anthology-style tale about uh, the end of the world, um, as according to the Book of Revelations, and uh, deals with uh, thematic usage of the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. My my books are my books are generally very uh, bleak, I guess. Um, but um, yes. one of one of the one of the genres I feel that's generally underrepresented, not in just in comics and in movies, but kind of in all media, is uh, the horror comedy. Um, and that's kind of strange to me because I think comedy and horror are so closely related. Uh, there's so much to be said about dealing with personal horrors through humor and cruelty being a necessary facet of like being funny. Um, and ID 10 T error is very funny and also quite cruel. Um, so like as a horror comedy, I think it works very well, but what I really want to know is where you draw the line, right? Like what is the ratio of humor to being scary? Um, do you write it as is and then tweak the mixture? Like, did it start as a, a horror comedy or did it start as like a horror or a comedy and develop into that? Like, I'm very curious as to how you got this particular blend. Hmm. Uh, it's a good question. You know, like a lot of people that have read it, read it, did it, read it. Yeah. They, they kind of haven't really got the comedy of it so much, or I get a lot of comments about like, Ooh, this is so creepy and weird and disturbing. Like, Oh, I'm always like, Oh, I thought it was kind of funny actually. But um, yeah, I think I thought more of it as like I was writing a comedy more than a horror story. The horror aspect of it just kind of was kind of secondary to me just because it's it's just, you know, the part where he's captured this AI in, in his basement and he's torturing and trying to kill it. That kind of happens naturally for there. Um, it's not like a comedy where there's lots of you know, haha, funny joke jokes stuff. It's more just from the absurdity of the situation and just how, yeah, just weird. Yeah, weird I, I think that's it. I think that it is, I think it, it is an absurd kind of comedy, right? Like the, yeah. the, the premises, uh, like, uh, and the motivations um, uh, for your main character or for Bradley, I guess, um, are, are again, absurd, but so absurd that they're funny, right? Mm, and yeah. there's also this kind of like where there is, a lot of cruelty uh the ai is very um sort of like immune to it in a lot of ways because he's doesn't have nerve endings right so um yeah it's um yeah i get well i guess maybe it's uh, the best way to put it is a black comedy right like it is a totally yeah uh, definitely a, a beetlejuice type of thing and I, I think there's there are definitely people who see the humor more in that than others mm-hmm. um like i went to see beetlejuice with my family and like my mother and i absolutely loved it we thought it was hilarious 
And my father was just like, it's so morbid. He's like, what's funny about that? And we're like, what, how do you not find this like hilarious? He's like, well, two, a young couple dies in the first like 10 minutes of the movie. Like what could be funny about that? And we're like, I, I mean, the whole rest of the movie. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it might just be, um, you know, specific to the uh, the mindset or whatever. But, yeah. And I like, that's kind of why I chose Otavio to draw it because I, he, as soon as I saw his style, like it, it kind of had this kind of Looney Tunes aspect to it. Like it, it can go for them, like 90% of it. It's very kind of realistic looking. Then all of a sudden, like somebody, their eyes will like shoot out of their skull or something like that's a very good that, point. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind yeah. of, I, I, I was really leaning heavily on him kind of trying to sell the comedy of it more so from any dialogue that I was writing. Like I said, not a lot of jokes in there. It's just kind of stemming from the situation and, and the, I don't know, physicality of the characters. Right. Yeah. It's um, well, one of the moments that really kind of struck me was when he, uh, he stabs, when Bradley stabs the AI in the chest, mm-hmm. because it's obviously a very cathartic moment for Bradley. And he's very satisfied and, you know, uh, in like doing this horrifically violent act. And like, it doesn't, I mean, except for the scream that, that the AI gets, like, it doesn't really seem to impact him or hurt him or like impair his functions or anything. So it's, it's very funny to me that like, he's doing this horrible thing to something that's still kind of unfeeling it. We still kind of get the cruelty and tragedy in that and stuff. So yeah, mm-hmm. the whole, the whole book is just um, like a, a, yeah, just a, a great big uh, uh, mix of comedy and, uh, and, uh, and tragedy. So I think it's great. I think it's very effective. Oh, thanks. Uh, speaking of horror, you also uh, have written two horror books, mm-hmm. Tomb of the White Horse and Tomb of the Red Horse, which I absolutely love, by the way. Thank you All so much. Love this plot. Like you've got a amazing, talented group of people together to make these two comics. So congrats on that. Thanks. Um, I guess what I want to ask is, I kind of have my theory behind my question, but like we are two indie creators who have created horror comics, and I know you know maybe out of the kickstarters out there right now, maybe like two. For every, I don't know. Anyways, there's a lot of horror comics out there, especially for a first-time creator. So why do you think that is? Like, why are first-time creators so drawn to the horror genre? Well, I think, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know if it if I would ascribe it to first-time creators. Um, I would, I think I would ascribe it to, um, like, p- people are trying to interpret what they see. Um, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're trying to put, you know, their own... Um, you know, their own, in a lot of cases, their own trauma, but in a lot of other cases, their own experiences. And I think since, you know, around 2016, I think the world has been kind of just a gigantic horror show itself um, for, you know, a, a, a cornucopia of reasons. Um, and I think that horror is is more popular when things are, are bad, right? Because I think that horror gives us something to, to put our boogeyman into and to kind of enca- uh, encapsulate the ways that we're feeling and, and the horror that we feel with it, whether it's world events like, you know, climate change or wars or, or things like that, or you know, global pandemics. Um, I, I think that that there's a, a lot of that in there. I, I also think maybe that's just, it seems to be more accessible because I think, uh, I think scares are a lot of things that you can do different ways, right? I think there's like a creeping, subtle psychological horror, um, like uh, something that you get from like the witch or hereditary and then there's a little bit more in your face you know try to jump scare you and and uh uh you know like uh i don't know movies like the conjuring or things like that right so i think there's just a lot of ways to get to those emotions of being frightened and something like comedy is is you know i think comedy and horror again are are very entwined but it's so much easier for a joke to fall flat right um and i think finding your audience for humor is so much more specific where i think that you can kind of cast a wider net maybe with horror um, and it's, it's so easily interpreted into other things, especially when you're trying to do, I think, thematic stuff. Um, like if you're trying to like, Hey, this is my stance on politics, or this is my stance on capitalism, or this is my stance on like women's rights. You know, it's just easy to kind of boil that down, you know, into, you know, into something scary and like why you should be afraid of it and turn that into your, your boogeyman. Yeah. By the way, I could totally relate to your characters in the first issue. I, I had that job for like five oh. years. <laughs> Um, I have, uh, I should give a plug here to a good friend, uh, yeah. Jeff, uh, who uh, does a podcast called Talk Me Into. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, he's an old friend. We, we, we did podcasts together in the past, like years and years ago. And he has been like a lifelong warehouse worker. So like when I went to get a lot of the, a lot of the defining like details of that job, um, like I went to him and I was like, Hey, like, does this sound right? And like, how does this work? So, um, a lot of the warehouse stuff from Two of the White Horse, like I have to thank the auth- authenticity of that. If there is any is, is from Jeff. Yeah. Uh, you nailed it. Totally. Thanks. Yeah. Totally authentic. Yeah. We, there, there definitely was times where we'd get like mysterious packages, like these big crates, but you know, they're, yeah. they're never like filled with Bibles or anything. It's usually, I don't know, dolls or something. No, you never, kind of you never unearthed a, a strange black obelisk that spelled doom for the entire yeah. planet. No, funnily enough. No. Yeah. That's, that's probably a good thing. Maybe like, I don't know, maybe that happened on one of the nights I was off or something. <laughs> so well, I think he probably I yeah. it probably would have been a company wide email about it. Um, <laughs> well, so okay, so for me, like the real trick of writing horror is like uh, it's one of omission. Uh, like The Shining, uh, it's what Kubrick and King like kind of don't show you or tell you that really kind of like makes the the terror kind of set in, right? Like obviously, there's lots of horrific images in The Shining, but it's that it's that's, it's the stuff that your mind kind of creates in the background that really I think kind of sells the scariness. Mm-hmm. Um, I struggle with how much to reveal and how much to explicitly state to my readers, uh, like at all times, like through the, that's like a huge problem I have with the editing process, like, because I know all the ins and the outs of the story. And I know the things that like are in between the lines, but because I wrote it, of course I know that, like, does it come across to the reader who isn't obviously inside my head? And I think uh, ID10, ID10, <laughs> ID10T error, uh, I think it, it has uh, a balancing game of its own going on in relations to the twist or reveal near the end. Um, and I wanted to know how you approached like exposition or like what to tell your readers, like how much is too much uh, and how, you know, you kind of go about leaving that trail of breadcrumbs and how you kind of manage where to put the twist and things like that. Yeah. But before I answer that, can I let you on a little secret? Sure. I, I hate the name that I chose. I hate ID 10 error. Do you really? Yes. Is it because yeah. it's hard to, why, why is that? Um, I, yeah, it'd be, I guess, practical reasons. Like it's hard to pronounce. And especially when you're running a Kickstarter and the, you know, the person can't remember what the hell, like the name of the book is or like ID nine, four, what, what is it again? That makes yeah. it yeah, very hard to market it. Yeah. So we, we, we've run into our own problems that the, the, we, we launched Tomb of the White Horse, knowing that we were going to do four of them, but didn't really think about how we would encapsulate the series. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have like an over, so we're just calling it the Tomb series now as like a matter of default. But um, on like the first two days of the Black Horse campaign, somebody DM'd me and was like, Hey, I saw the tweet you put out about your Kickstarter. Like you, you called it Tomb of the White Horse. And I was like, oh, <laughs> son of a bitch. And I had to go and delete it and then read, you know what yeah. I mean? And it's just like, how do I keep, you know, they're, they're all so very similar in terms of name, but uh, with slight variations. So yeah. um, I guess we, we, we live and learn. Yeah. You know, next, next one, I'll just make it like one word. Next title will just be some one three letter word title or something. Maybe, like that. maybe, no, maybe, get... no, maybe no hyphen that people can misplace. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. I, I write ID 19 error a lot. That's oh, okay. My, my little yeah. typo that I have to go back and delete. I gotcha. I yeah. gotcha. But, uh, um, but so yeah, tell me about, uh, tell me about your, 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 your process in terms of like how to reveal twists and like, like, do you struggle with the same things I struggle with in terms of like how much to reveal and how much to not reveal? Um, I, a little bit. Yeah. Especially with the kind of, um, it's hard to remember, but I remember really struggling with the kind of end of second act twist, which is kind of also the high concept of the book. Um, and again, I was thinking like practical reasons like that, like, um, it's kind of the big high concept that's really easy to pitch to people, but I, I also have it as my twist. So I don't really want to include that in the marketing. So early on, I was kind of struggling, like, do I want to put that up front? So the, I guess the twist is that uh this ai is actually bradley's college laptop that crashed on him in in college and that's kind of his motivation why he's cr- turned it into an actual living thing so he can get his revenge on it um <clears throat> yeah that, that's a good question 
Yeah, the 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 easy the easy way to pitch your book to people saying it's about a guy who gets revenge on the laptop that crashed by okay. turning it into a human and torturing it. Mm-hmm. But that also, but by uh, like by stating that you're also kind of giving up the, the 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 trick, right? You're kind of giving up the twist as well. So exactly, yeah. So I when I was writing the first draft, like I remember maybe putting that part earlier on in the story or kind of structuring it a lot more differently. Um, it's been so long, but I wish that's a good question. I can't remember. How about switch it over to you? How about, how about with you? How do you, um, yeah, space out your exposition? I, uh, I have uh, no idea. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I leave that up. So I, I'm, I, I fumble around in the dark and um, I, I leave that up to, uh, uh, Benjamin, uh, uh, Benjamin Philby, my co-creator, uh, to to tell me if he gets it, and that's why I use editors, and I have people that uh, I trust that will uh, read my early drafts, and then I will. And usually, what I will do is is after like they give me their initial feedback, I, w- I will ask them to kind of like tell me what they think is going on, right? Like, and, and ask them to kind of fill in the gaps um, and ask some probing questions and, and see if if they get it, um, and that that works very well, like. Um, someone once, when I was asking them the questions about it, someone once described Tomb of the White Horse as like, um, uh, they said some sort of, uh, I think they called it like a spiritual radiation coming from the box. It's like infecting everyone. It was like, oh yeah, like I didn't kind of put it in those terms, but I think you're right. Like the, the presence of the box is just like making things weirder and stranger. And like this presence is almost kind of like uh, emanating from it, like a smell or like some sort of radiation. Um, so it's like, I, I rely a lot on just on good feedback and editing and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, because, um, um, because ultimately, right. Like that's like, I, I know what I'm trying to say, but like my big struggle is that no one else is going to get it or I'm going to overstate it and it won't be compelling or it'll be too vague. And then it won't make any sense at all. Yeah. It, do you, I don't know if it's too personal, but do you come from like a really religious background? Cause it's oh, no. each. No, actually, it's not personal. No, I don't. Um, I was raised in a secular family. Both of my parents yeah. were raised Catholic uh, in the 50s or whatever. And uh, and uh, they both kind of just stopped going to church and like just didn't ever discuss religion. So religion to me, uh, and, and not to be disrespectful in any way, but religion to me, I always kind of viewed as like almost like high fantasy. Like I knew this is what people lived by, but like the Bible and Revelations all just was uh, like like Tolkien in a lot of ways. Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but like, so it was never, it was always, uh, you know, very, I understood it to be very important stuff to people, but I never took it with that grain of reality where it was like, you know, this is stuff that could actually happen. Um, But um, obviously I think, you know, I don't think you can exist in in this country or possibly in the world and not realize how tied things are to religion or to people's faith. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a a big part of the books for me is like, you know, trying to, trying to turn on that, you know, um, on that thought or that feeling um, or, uh, in terms of like, you know, how, how, how bad it is and how a lot of people just ignore that kind of stuff, whether it's, you know, climate change or abuse of power in politics or, um, you know, just uh, separate ideologies, um, yeah. you know, kind of coalescing. Yeah. Well, the reason I ask is when you brought up like the, these, these tombs kind of spiriate this spiritual energy in both issues, like they're deeply religious characters in it. And, you know, in the first issue, um, the very religious dude turns into this horrific monster and, you know, tries to kill his, his two coworkers. And then in the second issue, also very deeply religious person, but much more like that the hero of the story sacrifices himself to yeah. save the kids. So yeah, I just thought that was interesting. And what, like, what if anything, you had to say about like uh, well so yeah i i, I want to uh yeah i then and thanks for for picking up on that because that it wasn't entirely um uh, accidental um you know i think that um that a- any kind of tools can be used for good and evil right and it would be as someone who wasn't re- raised religious it would be really kind of foolish to say that religion doesn't do doesn't have positive real mm-hmm. benefits in the world i mean um, as I understand it, AA is a very kind of like group that's like tinged with religion and for good or for ill, like that does a lot of good and things like that. Um, and I think just maybe not on a, on a wide or a global scale or on a societal scale rather, but I think maybe on an individual scale, I think it helps a lot of people be kinder and nicer in some ways at some times. 
Um, so yeah, I don't want to just kind of paint it as like, yeah, religion's all bullshit. It's terrible. Like, I, because again, like I'm not, not really interested in having a one-sided discussion like that. Right. I'd like to, I'd like to let um, those other kind of viewpoints kind of seep in. And, and to me uh, with Red Horse, the juxtaposition of the president and the secret service agent, Christy, um, is that it's the two views of faith, right? Like some people view it as like a tool or a weapon or a thing to accumulate power or clout. And then some people view it as for what it is, is like doing the right thing and, and being kind and uh, being altruistic. Um, so yeah, that, um, but I, I guess uh, the spoiler for Tomb of the Red Horse is that in the end, it doesn't really matter anyway, um, is that, um, you know, that, uh, that oblivion is coming, right? <laughs> and, yes. um, yeah, um, and, and usually uh, by our own making. So um, that's where that bleakness comes in. Right. You mentioned. Yep. Um, so uh, I, I, I don't want to ask how the, the Kickstarter is going, um, but I, I did want to bring up that ID10T error two is uh, funding on Kickstarter right now. Um, so congratulations. I, I know you're going to make it, um, uh, but, so. but I know you won't. Trust me. Uh, but uh, you, do, you do mention that when I was doing my research, you, you do mention that you want to complete the series with, with an issue three, mm, uh, yeah, that, yeah. You'll fund on crowd, uh, that you'll fund on Kickstarter at a later date. Um, but the campaign page for the first issue states that it's one shot. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious as, as if um, you figured that you could do uh, the first issue kind of as a one shot and expand it later, yeah. or if it originally started as a one shot and then based on the idea you decided to kind of expand it and move outward with issue two and issue three yeah that one yeah yeah it, it totally started off as just a a one shot one and done i really just wanted to create this just more as like an exercise of making the comic by myself um before this there were so many times where you know i had false starts and get started on something and get discouraged or overwhelmed or the thing that i was starting on was way too huge um, so yeah, I just, it was very much a, let's get down to brass tacks and just make a book and make it really simple. So a 36 page self-contained book. And, um, I did that and yeah, it was always, that was always the intention just to be just the one story, even though it kind of ends on, um, a final note, but also possibility of maybe something down the road happens. Uh, so when I was doing the kickstarter for the first one um just talking about it and thinking about it you know just like the idea of well, what happens next after the ai and burpo kind of right off into the sunset um and yeah it, it's honestly it just kind of percolated from i had ideas for a few gags for the second issue so like no story no character thing just like funny things um so the one thing was that um in the end like the the house gets filled with uh, carbon monoxide and Bradley gets knocked out. So, um, and the AI kind of like takes pity on him and brings him out of the house and doesn't leave him in there to die before he escapes. Uh, so I just thought it'd be funny if like, oh, what if during that entire thing where Bradley was trying to kill this AI in his basement, there was actually somebody else in the house and he just kind of left them in there to kind of waste away. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's, kind of where the genesis of the second issue came and the the new character of uncle oliver bradley's uncle that he abuses throughout the second issue uh -huh. um yeah so uh yeah just from there like when i'd go on walks with my family and my dog i just kind of keep getting more and more ideas and <clears throat> from there i kind of had like five set stories that i wanted to do with this and the mission statement for each one was uh, it would get bigger and bigger. So the first issue obviously is just basically set in two rooms for maybe like 95% of the story. It's between three characters. So it's really just chamber drama or comedy or comic, whatever. Um, yeah. yeah, so for the second issue, uh, uh, yeah, it's going to be much bigger it's set in Toronto. So it's going to be like their antics are going to expand throughout the entire city. Uh, and if I decide to do, I'll definitely do issue three because issue two is a two-parter. So the story for this one will conclude in issue three. But after that, like if I decide to do more, it'll be again, much, much bigger, grander in scope. Gotcha. Oh, yeah. that's really interesting. Yeah. I, I, when I started out doing comics, uh, you know, the, the advice that a lot of writers get, which I think is solid advice is to start with sh short comics. Mm. 
Um, and every short comic that I did, I kind of wrote with the idea that they could be adaptable or expandable into uh, larger things. Um, and that was the whole deal with, with Tomb of the White Horse, where it, it was just a, a single kind of standalone story. Um, you know, and the idea was, was that like when we, we had an idea to do all four horsemen of the apocalypse, it was like, well, I don't, I don't foresee a logical way to continue things after this tomb opens with these characters. Right. So it just became, let's just do it as an anthology, but it was almost the same thing where it was like, this is going to kind of be a standalone thing. And that is the theme, uh, like we kind of fleshed it out and, and, you know, um, made it a little bit more, uh, uh, I guess, rich. Um, we decided that, yeah, we'll do four of them and we'll feed them this way. And I had ideas for all four. So yeah, like, I, I think it's, it's great is that like having ideas that are kind of like adaptable and expandable in that way is, is super cool. Um, because, uh, because again, you're right. The, the first issue does have a very definite end. And if it didn't continue from there, it's still a satisfying story. Um, but, uh, yeah, know that we're going back to it. And again, just seeing the preview pages from issue two. Yeah. It looks a lot wilder. It looks a lot funnier. It looks a lot more kinetic. Um, because you know you're outside and you can move around and stuff like that yeah um, for sure yeah which is yeah i'm i'm working i'm working there like again like you're talking about chamber dramas like two of the white horse takes place basically in two rooms and there's yeah. like a yeah, panel from yeah. outside and two of the red horse takes place like in a car and in a tunnel and on a street it's not yeah. a whole lot of but black horse we're 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 still kind of continuing that but there's a lot more movement there's definitely a lot more uh, uh action in it as well so yeah it's nice to be able to like kind of build on top of that stuff yeah for sure yeah and you know i mean with issue three that'll kind of conclude this one story and i'm almost the the ending that i have for it is is so perfect that i'm just in that tempted to like not go on anymore even though oh, i kind of have like ideas where it can go off after that um so yeah i'm, I'm still undecided so who knows was like marinate yeah so um so have you, I guess my, my question uh, going off the last uh, thing is, is have you actually written issue three yet? Is it finished? Um, um, nope. Don't have, okay. uh, it, it's, it's all plotted out. Um, although I'm kind of, it's all plotted out. And now that I'm kind of thinking more about it, like I'm changing things. I don't know. Just, just based off of, you know, stewing on things. You have the oh, beginning, middle and end, but you're kind of just like turning some of the, the tumblers or whatever to a little yeah. bit. Yeah. That is, I think maybe one of my favorite parts of like my writing process is mm -hmm. where I'm pretty sure that I know all three acts of the book. I know where it's going to go. And then it's like finding ways to like turn it up a little bit or like make every page a little bit more, more dynamic or give Ben something a little bit more to do. Um, uh, yeah, I love that part. Um, but, um, I'm curious, like if you have anything planned after, uh, ID 10 T, uh, like, and, and I, I think more specifically, I'm kind of curious to know if you're going to continue down the horror comedy path, or if you're going to hew more towards one or the other, or, or if you're excited to go in kind of a different direction, um, altogether. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm working on something right now. It's it's really slow going, but like, I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be cool. Um, it's definitely, it's more, I guess, it's another weird mashup of genres, just like this one. It's comedy, fantasy, sci-fi, yeah, a little bit of horror. It's, um, it's basically my sequel to uh, A Trip to the Moon. So I don't know if you're familiar with the films of Georges Méliès. I'm not. Okay. Even if you don't know it, you probably know it. Oh, so, I think I know what you're talking about. I, yeah, I think the, I do know, but please, but please. The moon, me. the guy in the moon who has a rocket shot. And gotcha. Eye. Yeah. The silent film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's basically like a sequel to that. And it's kind of the taking all of Georges Mel, George Méliès. I can't, it's a French name. I can't pronounce it right. I do it with a horrible in American, I don't know, North Americanized accent. Um, but, uh, he, you know, in his time, he created hundreds and hundreds of films and there were all these kind of weird trick films. Um, he kind of pioneered special effects at the time. So none of them had like really any story except for like a couple. But even then there is more. The reason you went to see it was for the special effects. Uh, so like he has fantasy stuff, science fiction stuff, kind of weird demonic stuff, kind of horror things, but they all have like this comedy 
aspect of it. So the this comic that I'm working on kind of takes all of his genres and his stories and kind of makes them this, into this cohesive kind of world. So uh, it's that, and it's like a sequel to A Trip to the Moon. So it's um, it's kind of like a world where they've perfected space flight. So they've kind of, they've gone beyond the moon. They've gone to like all these other planets and kind of into the solar system and have kind of united all the people and, and things like that. And so the, the next kind of frontier is going to the stars. And of course, I don't know, that's where the kind of Lovecraftian horror of it come, comes in. Gotcha. Uh, so it's called uh, A Journey into the Abyss. Uh, and I'm working on it with an artist from Winnipeg called Marissa Mayhew. Um, and yeah, actually, she just, just tonight, like an hour ago, she sent me some thumbnails. So that's oh, going to wow. be, yeah, that's going to be the next kind of big thing I tackle after um, ID10T Air. Yeah, that, uh, that sounds great. And are you, are you, are you looking to crowdfund that? Are you looking to pitch that? uh probably crowdfund it i think it's it's yeah it's too weird and esoteric and very very niche to i don't know pitch to a publisher i feel right um maybe you know i'll down the line i'll try but i definitely want to crowdfund it so well, I'm, I'm definitely i'm definitely a little envious um every every idea that i start to work on i i have one idea that i'm working on that's not hard but pretty much everything else that comes into my head is a horror idea um mm-hmm. and i'm not you know i'm not um i'm not itching to break out of the genre i mean i'm, I'm very comfortable here but um but yeah i like that it's it's just um uh yeah you're, you're kind of just you're, you're jumping around you know what i mean you're yeah you're, you're much more um agile when it comes to, to genre than i am yeah i'm i'm really not that big of a horror guy like i definitely like horror i like all my you know, the A24 horrors love all that stuff. Oh, sure. but I've never been like a huge horror guy. Just with ID10T error, it just kind of, I don't know, fit into that, the concept. Right. This kind of hostile aspect of it. Yeah, it's um, uh, it's like horror by, uh, well, not by accident, right? But almost by yeah, like, just, uh, yeah, yeah, by necessity, default. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Um, default would be a better computer. Term, I guess, probably. Uh, um, oh, yeah, totally. Got a bunch of writers here. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's um, I think it's going to be great. I'm really excited. Uh, now, I, I guess this is kind of like a supplemental question: is um, are you are you writing that? Are you working on that project now while you have the Kickstarter going? Is that something that you're able to do? Like run, like work on a project mm-hmm. while you're uh, promoting another project? Because yeah, I have a not, lot of trouble not, with that. Not very well. No, yeah. No, no. Uh, the I script did... is done-ish there's it's kind of messy which is i feel bad like the, the artist is kind of struggling like finding inconsistencies with the script i'm like oh sorry I, I have to go back and edit it and i changed a bunch of stuff and didn't change this other things and blah 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 sorry about that so a lot of i'm canadian so i just say I, sorry a lot yeah no, that's okay that keeps me up at night all the time <laughs> yeah. Uh, um yeah so i i'm kind of like pumping the brakes on at least the editing aspect of it and while i do the kickstarter for for this one but uh yeah once it's done i'm definitely gonna like go full force and start cleaning that up so we can uh, get more pages out i uh i have a table read uh for tomb of the black horse with benjamin on wednesday table Uh, read yeah so we're gonna go through it and we're gonna read like we're gonna do uh part we're each going to do the voices of the main characters and go through all the panels and everything and like make sure that the dialogue makes sense and make sure that the panel so he has layouts done and everything so we're going to compare them to that and like just kind of make sure that like everything uh like gels and sounds really good which is Is a thing that people do like i don't know i i think we've done it i think we've done it before on red horse yeah. Um, but like, we're kind of, yeah, like that's, um, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's important to me that everything flows. Right. And again, like, like showing, uh, showing my scripts to other people and getting their feedback and asking them questions about it is hugely helpful in making sure that everything is like smooth. Right. And everything makes sense. Um, and there's no, uh, there's nothing hanging. So yeah, I, I read my dialogue out loud all the time. Um, like when I do edits of my stuff, I read all of my dialogue out loud. Um, and um uh, just like I, I like just as a lot of artists will take reference photos of themselves uh like right. i will choreograph scenes uh and make sure that like i have you know uh all the proportions and stuff like that of the of the room right 
Um, but yeah, so I, I guess it's, yeah, it's, it's to help with clarity and like to, to get uh, intention and expression down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so there's no, nothing mistaken as far as like what I'm trying to say or what the characters are trying to say or how they're saying it. It just blown my mind. I, 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 do you not, I, do you not write, do you not read your own dialogue out loud? I should. Oh, definitely do. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't, I almost want Jordan to jump in here real quick and kind of give us his, uh, his, his five cents. He's giving me the thumbs up. He's saying he does read his own dialogue out loud. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn, give it a, yeah. Especially I am, I'm a huge, uh, I have a tendency to repeat words. Uh, there's, uh, there's, um, I repeat out in the snow in uh, Tomb of the White Horse on the same page. Uh, our man was out in the snow. You left your man out in the snow. And I like okay. to this day, uh, that will be something that I cringe about every time I think about it. It's the one mistake that I can't fix in uh, Tomb of the White Horse. Yeah. I mean, the table reading is brilliant. Like I, I've been, I've acted for, before I did any writing or comic writing, like acting was my thing. And, yeah, I've done table reads like all the time when I was, was acting just now until you mentioned it is the only time I've realized like I could, I could have done that with, with my books. That's you've innovated. Really. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I think it helps for sure. And, but, but it also depends on like how, how I think closely and cohesively you're working with your creative team. True. Yeah. You know, if it's, if it's a, a work for hire artist, you know, he may not want to like give up two hours or whatever to like sit and read through the whole script with you. But like as Ben and I are co-creators, it's like, you know, uh, it, you know, we, we have the time and the, you know, the ability to do that. So we take advantage of it. Nice. Um, yeah. Speaking of Ben, um, I mean, when I read the books, I was really blown away by the, the design of the, the, the horseman. Oh, okay. um, yeah. So can you talk to me about, talk to me about the, the process there? Like yeah. how much was, how much was you um, kind of like describing like your idea at first and how much did he go from there or just what was the process there? Um, to be quite honest, I'd, I'd really have to go back and check the script. Yeah. Um, but I, I know that, that uh, Ben has given a, a ton of input. I, I would have to go probably on the design of the, of the horseman, probably 90, 10 Ben's influence. Um, you know, uh, uh, Ben, I mean, and, and I'm, I'm, when I say this, I mean, down to seemingly obvious stuff, like um, the, the, the white horse of conquest having a bow and arrow. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I don't think it was something that I initially wrote in the script. And he's like, well, we should give him a bow and arrow. And I'm like, yeah, of course, that makes perfect sense. Uh, so, yeah, I, I uh, tremendously up to him. Uh, that's one of the best things uh, about this experience for me is, is just like knowing that um, whatever I put in there, if, if he sees it a different way, that uh, uh, he'll he'll let me know. And and. A hundred percent of the time, I, I think I've gone with his suggestions, and they've always been for the better. It was very important for him to um, to uh, uh, have input uh, on the printing of the book, uh, like you know how how the page, how thick the pages were, the, the cover stock, and all that stuff. Um, so you know, tr- truly, he's he's been a great uh, co-creator. Um, you know, I I think I I think in terms of like size and shape and and what they said and what their attitude was. I think that was all me, but like in terms of what they looked like and, and thematically how, how well they resonated with the book, uh, that was mostly Ben. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Well, he hit it out of the park. I'm, I'm yeah, still he, thinking about it. He helps me it, out like, a lot. Days ago. Yeah. yeah. Super yeah. creepy. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. I also want to talk about having an editor on your comic because I know that's, a, especially for indie creators when, you know, we're pretty strapped for cash sometimes that's one thing that goes by the wayside so how essential was um working with your editor on this book i'll i'll never go to kickstarter or to a publisher without at least having a script editor Mm -hmm. um it is it's it's hugely important and and not just an editor but like the right editor right like someone who um is going to understand not only what you're going for, but like what you're looking for in terms of like producing the book, right? Like I, I don't need an editor that is going to try to make the book more marketable for a publisher, right? Like that is, that is not the goal. Like my, my goal with the book is, is we want to tell the story and we want to make sure that the emotional thrust of what we're trying to say is there. And like, that's, what's paramount. 
Um, so not again, not just getting somebody who under, understands the the process of editing, but also trying to understand like what you're trying to do with the book, I guess, existentially. Uh, and then in terms of like theme and stuff like that, Danny Lore was the script editor for Tomb of the White Horse. Uh, and they are, were absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was able to get them to edit the script through um, a Kickstarter reward uh, that I backed. Oh, cool. uh, so, so they had, they, they did two passes on the script for me, uh, for that. And, you know, it was instrumental. And then, um, after that, I hired Claire Napier, um, to edit, uh, Tomb of the Red Horse. And, um, she was such a natural fit. She had her, like with very little prompting, she understood exactly what we were trying to do and kind of like, I guess for like a lack of a better term, like the soul of the concept. Right. So, uh, I immediately just said, yeah, well, I'll, I'll have her edit black and I'll have her edit the rest of the series as well. She's done a great job as well too. So yeah, I, I highly recommend it. Um, I, I don't know off the top of my head. I, I don't know what I paid per hour for Claire to edit. I know some people do by page, some people do by hour, mm-hmm. um, but whatever it was, like I paid it out of pocket and it wasn't prohibitive. Like it yeah. wasn't, you know, like a hundred dollars an hour or anything. Um, and it, you know, it's, um, it's very helpful. You need a, a you need a non-biased person to look at the work. Um, uh, you, you want to avoid uh, like the American Idol effect, like those people who show up on American Idol and they can't sing. And it's just because like they didn't have anybody in their life that like cared about them enough to tell them like, honey, like you need lessons or you need to go somewhere like you can't do this on your own. Um, and it's like, I don't, I never want to show up like with like logical or consistent you know, or inconsistencies in the, in the script or something like that, or a, a point that doesn't make sense or um, so yeah, I, I can't stress having an editor enough, even if it's something you don't pay, even if it's a friend, like a comics buddy or a writing buddy, I have lots of those. I have lots of friends that I'll just send stuff to you. Like, Hey, could you give me a quick read on this? And I know that I'll get the compliment sandwich. Like, I really like this work on this, but this was really great. And like, that's fine. Like anything is good, but if you can really hire someone that's just going to be honest with you and not cruel or, or whatever, or, or, you know, mean, but like, you know, give you kind of consistent feedback. Yeah, that's almost the yeah the the thing that I when I hand it over to friends like a script or whatever that's the one thing I don't want to hear is them be like oh I thought it was really good and yep just I anyone any friend that I give the book to I'm like please tell me yeah. what you hate about it first mm-hmm. like please tell me the worst things about it and then we'll after that we'll go through like oh no it was really good and I like this like I need to know what sucks yeah. um, it's just like when I walk out My of a really good. yeah when I walk out of a really good movie. I know, oh, it was so great. It was amazing. There were these two things that bothered me. And I really want to drill down on those two things, but not because I don't like the movie or I'm looking for a reason to hate it because like, I want to really just like, it's like drilling out the decay in a cavity. It's just like, I want to talk about why this doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And then we can get back to like just basking in the glory of how great everything else is. Um, but editors are really helpful for, uh, you know, for that, that kind of stuff. Um, especially in the script for Black Horse, where I, I had cut something out of my script and then given it to Claire and she was like, these characters need something that like to, to help us resonate. And like, do you have anything like that? And I'm like, uh, yeah, but I took it out of the script for brevity. She was like, well, you need to put it back in. I was like, that's hard. You don't want to do all that work again. And and mm-hmm. she was right. And it was, it's much better because of it. So nice. I was, yeah, I was actually thinking of hiring Claire for this project. I was just talking about the journey into the best one. Uh, hire Claire. Yeah, okay. She's great. I mean, there's, there's lots of great editors out there, but hire Claire. Right. Just make sure you let her know that she's got to edit my thing first. Okay. She's got to yeah. edit pillars. Yeah. No, no, for sure. I'll get that to her sometime. I, I bet I DM'd her like a couple of weeks ago and I was like, I, I, I almost have it ready. I'm going to send it to you. Just let me know when you have time. And I've just like uh, so many other things have happened since then. I've, I'm like a couple of weeks behind. Mm. But well, we kind of talked about like my next thing that I'm working on. Do you, do you have something other than the tomb series that you're got in the wings? I do. Uh, I have a concept. I have some concepts and like some stuff that I want to work on in the future, but I'm actually going, I'm actually uh, hustling right now to get a Kickstarter together uh, that I'm going to run uh, after uh, fulfillment for black horse goes out. Um, uh, my father passed away uh, in March of 2020 and he was uh, uh, he was an artist uh, but he had uh, uh, very little self-confidence in his art and like did a ton of sketches, and did a ton of work, but like really never showed it to anybody. Um, and my mom asked me after his death to like scan all of his stuff in so she could have it on a, a thumb drive. And I'm like, that just kind of seems lame. Like, you know what I mean? Just like, here's a thumb drive of like someone's like, you know, 30 years of drawing that this person did. 
so uh, I am going to, I have everything scanned in. I'm grabbing some of his larger pieces uh, this week. Uh, and we're going to try to do like a coffee table style, like art book, uh, like a posthumous art book of his stuff. Uh, and uh, the, if I could just, if I can go for one second, uh, he worked for the post office for like 30 years and he had these forms that had this big square empty box at the bottom for like notes or remarks or whatever. And like every day he would do sketches and almost every day he would do sketches and he just collected them and never did anything with them. Uh, I scanned them all in a couple of weeks ago, like right at the end of the uh, black horse campaign, there are 123 of these sketches. And like, I haven't even gotten to sketchbooks yet or like his bigger pieces. So there's just so much stuff that he did that like, and it's very, very neat. Uh, I guess kind of slightly trippy, uh, either ballpoint pen drawings or, or ink drawings or just pencil drawings. So uh, I'm going to try to get that together uh, and do that as sort of like a, an art book, sketchbook slash like tribute later this wow. year. Sounds amazing. It's really cool. I'm really excited about it. Yeah. And my, my, my mom's really excited. And like I'm asking her also, like I'm, I'm getting her opinion on a lot of stuff. She's going to help me like kind of curate the drawings and things like that. So yeah. Cool. Congrats it's not that. really a, not really a comic project but no. um definitely an art project so yeah yeah something to hold me over until we get to pale horse next year oh cool i'm excited for that uh one more question for me um do you have any survival tips for running a kickstarter this is my my second one and oh a, a week into it i'm exhausted sure uh so yeah i i think on the, the front end of things uh-huh. uh cap cut uh, you can download an app for your phone called CapCut, mm, and I have like this, yeah. I have no video editing experience whatsoever, like whatsoever. And I was able to craft a minute long trailer on CapCut that I think is reasonably good. Mm-hmm. Um, we were we were lucky enough. Ben has a friend who does uh, uh, the compositional scores uh, for like documentaries and things, so he's he's been providing us with like some really great music for our Kickstarter videos. So I had that kind of in my back pocket, but other than that, like it was me just kind of coming up with like transitions and way to like frame stuff. Um, I've shown it to a bunch of other creators. They've used it. They've been able to make really good videos. Um, memes are always your friend, like download meme generator. Uh, I, I cruise uh, meme templates official and Reddit, like a fool looking for stuff to post. Um, you know, especially when you're, you're trying to post something every day right? Like, and it's just like, you have to not, not just post one thing every day, but post like 30 times a day about it. Like any, any meme will work. Any current meme will just throw up, grab a fucking Moon Knight meme and throw it, a Moon Knight meme and throw it in there. Like people will like it. Um, also writing uh, articles about your Kickstarter or about things relating to your Kickstarter and uh, getting comics, uh, journalism sites to publish them. Uh, they're all looking for content to publish. So they will publish your book and they will tweet about it. And even if, you know, the, the article doesn't get a thousand views or whatever, like it's something for you to talk about. It's uh, a way, a different way for you to kind of express. Uh, and, and then of course you'll get the journalism sites on your side because you're providing them with content. Uh, and also, you know, like showing, it's like a, a symbiotic relationship. Those all helped me a lot. Um, definitely run a Twitter space and, uh, and promote as many other Kickstarter campaigns as you can. That's what I did this weekend, actually. It, it, yeah, I think it helped. Like, I did a, a thread thing of yeah. just being like, "Hey, throw up your Kickstarter thing. And I'll retweet it." And yeah, it, it's it, a it it's up. a community, yeah. right? And like, we're all working together. You know, those those cross. Well, I the space the Twitter space that I'm going to do on Tuesday, we're talking about like effective ways of cross promoting. Like, a lot of people do the the Kickstarter updates where they feature other uh, campaigns and things like that. Like, those are helpful and. And, and the, the self-promo Saturday and signal boost Sundays are all very helpful. But uh, there is, I think, a little bit of like, um, uh, uh, like there's a little bit of a formula to those. And I think there's also a little bit of like decorum, I guess, or uh, etiquette, I guess, rather, that like you need to observe. But, you know, finding all that stuff out is important. Yeah. That's like yeah. the best advice I can give in the short term. Just and also just keep tweeting. You're never you're never tweeting too much about your campaign. As long as you're like retweeting other campaigns and commenting and liking and quote tweeting, like as long as your timeline isn't just like 35 of your Kickstarter link like in a row, like yeah. you, you're not tweeting about your campaign enough. Even if you think you are, you're not. Yeah, that, I have to keep reminding myself yeah. that. Yeah, I, there, there's the part of, maybe it's the Canadian aspect of me. I just feel bad like i'm bothering people i just want to say like oh sorry that i'm you're literally i I can't stress this enough you're bothering nobody (laughs) like i i have never had somebody on like 
I don't think anyone has ever unfollowed me for tweeting too much about my campaign. I've never had anybody DM me and be like, hey, could you cool it? You know what I mean? Um, (laughs) You know, uh, and also uh, this was a big thing for me was halfway through the campaign, we changed our banner image on Kickstarter. Mm. Um, And we refreshed the data on our Twitter account. So like the new image would show up. Like we used a cover image and then Ben used an image of one of his panels later on because I think people go face blind to stuff after a while where it's like you see the same image for the campaign over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, and it's like, eventually you just stop seeing it, right? Like you just scroll right past it. But if that image changes up in terms of color or what, of what you're showing people, like, wait, what's this? Oh, it's the same book. It's just a new image. Oh, I'll retweet that, right? Like, so it's, you're just trying to grab attention. So don't be afraid to uh, change that banner image a lot. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Matt, it was so great talking with you. Uh, it was it was an absolute pleasure going back and rereading ID10T error like two or three times to to kind of do research on this. Um, I had a blast talking to you. I can't wait to read uh, the follow-up issue, um, which I think we should both mention again is on Kickstarter right now and people should definitely go check it out. Um, that, thanks so much for all of your questions. I thought they were really great. Thank you. Yeah, and, and likewise, I, I really enjoyed the Tomb series and uh, I, I backed the third one and I, I can't wait till... I'm like super stoked for it to come out now. Um, I want to see like what's coming next. And I'm really curious about the design of the new monster. Um, and oh, I'll, yeah. I'll say me too. <laughs> uh, ben and I have had some talks and we have yeah. some ideas. I'm really excited, but like, I haven't seen anything yet. Okay. Um, and I know that he will uh, uh, make it his own. And I'm, I'm just as, as excited, if not uh, more than you. Probably more, yeah. Probably a little bit there, yeah. Uh, But yeah, it was it was a pleasure. Yeah, and I and I have not backed uh, uh, your Kickstarter yet, but I I absolutely will. I will do it at a time that is a little bit more, let's say, social media appropriate. I'll try to get around like eleven a.m. tomorrow and tweet about it, so it's a better a better kind of traffic time. I don't want to do it too late in the evening. So, but I got your back totally. Awesome. Uh, Yeah. Again, it was a pleasure speaking. Matt, have a good night. Thanks so much. You too. Thank you to Matt and Ian for joining us for this discussion. Matt's comic, ID10T Error, can be found now on Kickstarter. And Ian's work, including the Tomb series, can be found at ianmondrick.com. As always, I'll put the links down in the episode description. Special thanks to Matt Campbell for composing our music, and Jeff Harmatz for designing our logo. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Creators on Comics podcast. <laughs>